It's time for the Comic Bing Comic Book Podcast. The podcast you look forward to for all of your news and reviews of the best comic books hitting stands. Whether it's DC, Batman, Wonder Woman, Marvel, Spider-Man, Image, Spawn, Saga, Boom, Once and Future, Power Rangers, or whatever book or publisher you follow. We cover them all here. This is the place for you. That's right. It's for everyone. This is the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. Let's get it. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. I am your host, Theo. It's great to be back with you. This time around, we're going to be doing nothing but comic book reviews. I've been doing a whole bunch of other stuff these past few episodes with traveling to New York Comic Con and doing interviews. And so this time we're going to be doing nothing but comic book reviews books that's released over the past few weeks and uh, then we'll look at what's going to be going on over the next few weeks in terms of podcasting and episodes coming out Uh, so again nothing but straight comic book reviews this time around we're going to be looking at the last few issues of Radiant Black, which are the first three parts of the Catalyst War from Kyle Higgins. Uh, we're going to be looking at the last few issues of Void Rivals from Robert Kirkman. Then we have the latest issue of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the Scorpius run. This is issue number three. Uh, we're also going to be looking at Red Light, which is a new series over at AWA. Uh, Then we're also going to look at the Supergirl special that came out this past week, uh, which marks Mariko Tamaki's return to DC. She's been away for a while since leaving Detective Comics uh, that I know of. Uh, So we're going to take a look at that. And then finally, I want to take a look at Transformers number one, Uh, which came out about a month ago, but I want to take a look at it simply because issue two comes out this week as you're listening to the podcast uh, from writer, artist, Daniel Warren Johnson with colors by Mike Spicer. Uh, But before we get into the reviews, uh, let me just remind you again, thank you for your support and hit subscribe, subscribe to future issues Subscribe to future episodes of the Comic Bin Podcast. Uh, give us some five-star reviews over on Apple or Google or Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And you never know, you may be winning a prize. And I'll have a little bit more about that uh, at the end of the episode. So with all that being said, let's get into some comic book reviews. Okay, so first up, let's look at Radiant Black. And to do that, we need to go back a few months and kick things off at issue number 24, uh, which is pretty much the prelude to the Catalyst War event that's going on right now. Now, the Radiant has been glitching out on Nathan and Marshall. And at the end of the issue, they basically have a choice to make. Only one person can weld the power of the Radiant, and that will fix everything. So they have to decide who wins and who takes over and weld the power of the Radiant on their own. 
and that is something that we as readers decide because at the end of the issue uh, there's a nice barcode you scan it with your phone or not a barcode to see a QR code you scan it with your phone takes you to a website allows you to vote pretty much like a death in the family whether or not Jason lives or dies but this one decides who becomes the permanent radiant uh, radiant black either Nathan or Marshall uh, so fortunately you don't have to pay for it like I paid for it in more ways than one when I voted for Jason to die back in the day. Uh, but I voted OG. I voted for Nathan being the original. Uh, but as you go into Catalyst War, we're presented with uh, some interesting stuff. And as we get into Catalyst War, which begins with issue number 25, uh, which has the original team of Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa uh, on it, but also has the new group that have joined uh, Higgins and Costa on the book, which is who, which are uh, Joe Clark and Eduardo Ferragato. So they're working on this together. And so what we've been getting now since issue number 25 have basically been two stories. Uh, one story is whether or not Marshall wields the power of Radiant Black. And then the other one is whether or not, what, well, basically the story of what happens if it's Nathan who wields the power of Radiant Black. Now, voting has closed on your choice of whether it's Nathan or whether it's Marshall. Uh, but I wonder if at the end of Catalyst War, we'll finally get the answer. Or maybe, maybe Higgins is really giving us hints uh, as to who the winner, if you're going to use that, if I could use that term, of the polling is uh, in that. Marshall's story is in the non-decimal number or in uh, the A cover of the story and Nathan's uh, story is in B or the point five of uh, Catalyst War. But uh, to get back into the story, each, each story has some very interesting outcomes and tidbits that really show how different the two characters are. Uh, Nathan more logical uh, in the beginning and you know Marshall the shoot from the hip type of guy. Uh, but as the story goes on you see that they both take different approaches uh, in their respective story. You know, in Nathan's story, he really goes out. He really goes out with a bang. And there are some unintended consequences uh, because of that. And I'm not going to spoil the outcome of, of what happened at the end of Nathan nor Marshall's story. But I really like how Higgins and Clark are presenting a new look at both characters welding the power of Radiant Black and 
I've been all in on Radiant Black from the beginning. I've been collecting it both digitally and in floppies from the start. Ah, so I can't wait to see how this all turns out. And I'm assuming at some point we're going to get the final answer. I don't know if Higgins announced it on, on social media or not. I really need to look into that, but I don't think he did. And uh, from what I remember from the panel, uh, I don't think it was mentioned either. I think we're going to get these two stories and get these two sides. Uh, and then once it's all over, we'll, we'll find out who the permanent radiant black will be. Again, I'm hoping it's OG Nathan, uh, but I wouldn't be upset if it's Marshall either. Uh, but they're basically doing what DC did with uh, Depth in the Family, except they're presenting both sides of the story at the same time. Uh, so if you're not following Radiant Black, really, you need to be picking this up. Uh, you can be, probably start reading it from uh, volume two of the series since it's that far ahead. Uh, but uh, I've been loving it from day one and uh, can't wait to see what happens at the end of the Catalyst War, uh, because right now the events that uh, Higgins and Joe Clark are presenting with these two separate stories from Nathan's point of view and Marshall's point of view as the Radiant Black uh, has really been eye-opening, and I really, really love it. And, of course, you cannot forget the art from Costa and Ferragato. These guys have been just killing it from day one on this series and you, you, their styles are slightly the same, but also slightly different. There are certain parts you really can't tell who does what. And then there are parts where you can kind of tell where it's switching from one artist to another. Uh, but I absolutely love the work that these guys are doing. And man, Radiant Black has just been killing it from day one. Uh, if, if, it wasn't for another title, which I will get to later on in the episode. Uh, it would probably, Radiant Black would probably be my favorite book on the shelf right now. But uh, it, is a, it is a close second. Uh, and I really, really have been enjoying it. So again, uh, Radiant Black issue, again, start with issue number 24. Uh, and then you get into 25, 25B, then uh, right now 26 and 26.5 are the current issues that were just released. So again, pick those up. Okay, next up. Next up, we have the first issue of Transformers uh, from writer-artist Daniel Warren Johnson with colors by Mike Spicer over at Image and Skybound. Uh, now, this is a part of the Inagon universe uh, that was uh, put together by this partnership with Hasbro Toys and Skybound, uh, which will bring Transformers and G.I. Joe, uh, as well as the new comic book, Void Rivals, all into one massive universe uh and again it's i've been talking about this series or at least this universe 
uh, since Void Rivals number one. It's been absolutely great. Uh, but we have now the latest edition and, you know, Robert Kirkman has been teasing and showing bits and more bits of the Transformers universe in Void Rivals. And now we get to see Transformers on their own in this new series from Daniel Warren Johnson, who's doing, again, both not just the scripts, but also the pencils. Uh, but as you see, if you read the issue, it really picks up from where Kirkman reveals the Transformers universe in Boy Rivals number one. And he does so by introducing the reawoken Jetfire, who, you know, again, he wakes up and he reactivated on the planetoid with Derek and Salila in Boy Rivals number one. And in waking up, he realizes he's been out of commission for quite a long time. And he takes off to head back to Cybertron. And apparently, he gets there to find out it ain't there no more. The planet has pretty much uh, been destroyed due to the war that uh, began between the Autobots and Decepticons. But as Transformers number one begins, he gets there to the planet Earth and he finds his fallen comrades. Now, he doesn't know about the two sides in this war of Cybertron. He's basically loyal to everyone that's lying, uh, not dead, but lying in a stasis of some sort. And so he begins to reactivate them. Uh, well, the first that he reactivates is his fellow jet plane, Starscream. And in reactivating Starscream first, Starscream goes to destroy the Autobots. And the first one he takes out is Bumblebee, which, okay, pissed me off. And, and I kind of relayed that to uh, Daniel Warren Johnson when we were in that panel at New York Comic Con, you know, Bumblebee, why would you destroy Bumblebee? Or at least shoot to kill Bumblebee. Uh, but there are some interesting things that happens within the pages of uh, Transformers number one that really leads now into what's going to happen in Transformers number two. And the biggest question of that is where's Megatron or better yet, what happened to Megatron? Uh, because as you go through the first issue, I want to say it was Soundwave who goes to mention, Hey, we need energy to build ourselves back up. We're all weakened. And if Megatron, and he wasn't even allowed to finish using that word Megatron. So it makes you wonder, what happened obviously something happened and it must have happened between starscream and megatron to where he's not there but with this question now of where is megatron that pretty much tells me that at some point in time he's probably going to make his way back which uh, again you can't have 
a Transformers series without the ultimate battle between Optimus Prime and Megatron. So issue number two comes out on uh, Wednesday as you're listening to this. I've already read it. I'm going to have a review up on the site by the end of the week. Uh, But let me just tell you, everything that's going on right now in the Intergon universe has just been absolutely great. I've been loving it from day one. We have now Void Rivals out. And again, when Void Rivals uh, first released, we were already shown the presence of the Transformers. But now we also know that G.I. Joe is about to make their appearance as well with Duke and with Cobra Commander. And I'll have a little bit more about that at the end of the episode as well. Uh, But you have really got to be reading Transformers as well. This has been uh, for that first issue just It's not the Transformers you may have read in the pages of Marvel uh, back in the day, nor what was most recently in the pages of the comics at IDW. Daniel Warren Johnson has created an entirely different set of Transformers. Now, again, the characteristics are still the same. You know, Optimus is Optimus. Starscream is still this power-hungry, I'll use the word minion, who right now is the leader of the Decepticons by some reason, again, due to whatever happened with N2 Megatron. Uh, But we will see at some point that question is going to have to be answered. And, uh, you know, Johnson has already hinted that at some point it will. So again, uh, if you're not reading Transformers, again, pick up issue one that's already out. Uh, issue two comes out on this Wednesday uh, from Skybound and Image from Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer on Colors. Okay, so next up we have the Supergirl special number one, uh, written by Mariko Tamaki, with art by Scala Patridge. Now, a few disclosure statements. One, I, I have honestly have not kept up with what's going on in Action Comics. Um, I have been reading Superman uh, since Joshua Williamson has picked it up. Uh, but I have not followed Action Comics since Bendis was coming. As Bendis was coming, I was leaving, and I did not go back. Uh, So, other than the travesty that is the aging up of John Kent, uh, I really haven't kept up with what was going on in action outside of the whole war world thing and... um, you know, and, and this new Superman family that's somehow been found, I, I just have not kept up. So I do not know all that encompasses what's going on in action, uh, including the return of this new Power Girl uh, that I'm not sure is the Power Girl that we've always known or not. Um, but apparently 
the Supergirl is the same Supergirl that Tom King wrote in his Woman of Tomorrow series, uh, a maxi series with uh, Bill Chris Ebley. And what we see here is, oh, and second disclosure statement. Uh, I bought this for one reason and one reason alone. And that's Mariko Tamaki. I have been a fan since he wrote She-Hulk back at Marvel. I've been a fan for the short run that she did on Wonder Woman and those few issues that she did there. Uh, but I became a diehard fan during her run on Detective Comics. And I absolutely loved it. I wish she was still there. Uh, no disrespect to Ron B, but Mariko's run just blows everything out of the water. Uh, the notion that Detective was the best bat book at that time is a hill of an argument that I am willing to die on. Um, that's just how big of a fan that I am of Mariko Tamaki. So she hadn't been around at DC in quite a while. So I wanted to pick this up again as a fan of hers and just see uh, the type of voice that she gave to uh, Kara Zoel, Supergirl. Uh, so quite honestly, it's tough to form a true opinion uh, for several reasons. One, again, I haven't been following the actions of Action Comics, which is where uh, this Superman family, including Supergirl, uh, have been. And um, <laughs> it's just tough to know, you know, what was what what's going on, and to form a a true opinion. Uh, but secondly, in this issue, in this special one shot, the dialogue is quite minimal. I mean, there's a lot of action in the story, but the dialogue between the characters are, there's not a lot. There's simply, there's simply not a lot. Um, now, I will say one of the things that Tamaki holds true is the historical tension that has typically existed uh, between the two characters of the Superman universe, Supergirl and Power Girl. Uh, so that's still there, and you can you can see it several times throughout the issue. Uh, me personally wouldn't mind seeing them come to blows uh, one day, uh, and and I would expect it to happen. You know, in this issue. Kara, Kara being Supergirl, uh, is kind of having a crisis in, of her mind in trying to remember her life on Krypton before the planet blew up and she was sent to Earth to protect her cousin uh, Kal-El, a.k.a. Superman. And so in this uh, issue, she's having this crisis of, of, of mine, you know, because she kind of sees herself as a failure and uh, just 
always failing in life, whether it was a race with uh, a competitor or not completing the mission of protecting her cousin uh, simply because her ship was knocked off course. And by the time she made it to Earth, Superman was a grown man. Uh, so I truly appreciate Tamaki uh, going back on the history and looking at that and having that history as a conflict that's going on in Kara's mind. And again, also, there is that tension between her and Power Girl. Uh, there's this, this one panel where Kara is looking to go and save this guy or someone who's trapped on the roof of this building that's in the process of collapsing. And uh, Power Girl attempts to go beyond her to save the guy, basically beat her to him. And Kara, out of anger, basically grabs Power Girl and pulls her back. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the panel in Kingdom Come when Shazam uh, grabs Superman's leg as Superman is going to stop the nuclear bomb that was coming to destroy everyone. Uh, and it kind of brought me back to that again, just looking at that tension between two equals uh, in more ways than one. So I really enjoyed that. Now, if there was one thing I wasn't crazy about was the art. And the best way that I can put it is the art, it had a look and a feel of Bill Quist Evely, but there was just something about it. And I don't know what Scholar Patrick was tweaking in it, uh, but it was it just made it look a little bit off. And I don't know, even in these pages, Kara and Power Girl, supposed to be twins more or less but I mean despite the the difference in hair they're supposed to look alike they're supposed to be splitting images of themselves but you, you don't always see that in the style that the art is being done uh, so I wasn't too crazy about the art uh, again I am a huge fan of Bill with Evely and this art looks somewhat similar, and, and and I'm assuming it was done simply because, you know, this Kara is the Kara from Tom King's book, which Bill Evely drew, uh, but it didn't it didn't really sell for me. Uh, but overall, again, I, I would say this was kind of middle of the road. Uh, but it might be an unfair assessment simply because I am not as well versed of the history of this current rendition of Kara and uh, the Superman family that's currently going on in action comics. But again, this is the Supergirl special number one from Mariko Tamaki and Scala Patridge at DC Comics.
Alright, next up we have Red Light number one uh, from over at AWA. Full disclosure, this is not a book for kids. Uh, and typically, if you are reading something by AWA, you would pretty much know it's not. Those titles really aren't made for kids. Um, t title kind of gives a hint to, uh, you know, when I see it, I think of Red Light District, brothels, and things of that nature. And that's in this story. Uh, but there's a whole, whole lot more. But first, to the credits, uh, Red Light, number one, uh, written by Sarah Cho, with art by Priscilla Petrades. And I hope I'm saying uh, Priscilla's last name correctly. But again, as I mentioned, yes, this book is not for kids. It's, it's, it's risque. There is nudity in it a lot of sexual undertones, but despite that, there is a wonderful story that's in here from Sarah Cho. And so what Red Light is about is in this brothel of the future, um, the Escorts or hookers or whatever you want to call them are all AI. They're not real humans. They're artificial intelligence. And they are all servants of this one man that's simply called Mr. But Cho's story focuses on one, one by the name of Lacey. And Lacey is not like the other AI units within this brothel. Uh, she was created with an algorithm that allows her to have empathy, to be able to look into the soul of a person and just learn more about them than the other AI units had the ability to do. So not only did she have this algorithm in her head, but of course she's like all other AI. Uh, she's self-learning. So she was really special. Uh, but she is, you know, again, as a, as a part of this brothel uh, used by everyone for sex and there's you know multiple scenes of her different clients but uh, again just looking at the interaction between her and her clients there's something different and of course one of her clients is also her master her master that being mister uh, but there's just a lot going on so in the course of the story, again, she's not allowed to leave the brothel, but she has this dream of seeing the outside world. And because of her quote unquote relationship to Mr. as his one concubine, I guess I could use that word, 
uh, he is able to see the outside world from his penthouse suite and she is just in love with it you know while he sleeps she will stare out of the window and just take in the lights and the glamour and the aurora of everything that's outside uh, but one day she's strolling this brothel and she comes across a young girl now when i say a young girl she looks to be in her teens uh, but come to find out that this is not an ai unit this is an actual human so this is a female child and i'm thinking again she's a teenager who's living in this brothel and she's been here all her life she's never been on the outside either and she reveals that the same goes for mister for some reason he hasn't gone out and Lacey kind of assumes it's because he has some type of he has a phobia to go outside ever since uh, his wife died so uh, but in meeting this young girl who whose name is natalie something changes in Lacey and by the end of the issue Lacey decides that she's no longer going to live by the rules of this brothel she's going to escape and she's going to take this young girl with her and um, that story was totally unexpected from, from again looking at the cover and getting to those first few pages. And I truly appreciate how Sarah Cho brings this story and how she introduces Lacey to the reader and gives you exactly what's going to happen next by the time you get to the, this last page of the, of the issue. So Lacey is going to be a protagonist of sorts in trying to figure out a way to get out of the brothel uh, while taking Natalie with her, who I am going to personally assume is Mr.'s daughter. Uh, again, he's been in there for years. He hasn't come out. She's never been outside of the brothel. I'm thinking that this is the daughter of Mr. and his now dead wife. And Lacey, ironically, has plenty of similarities to Natalie. Uh, long red hair, some facial features. And when Lacey is with Mr., he doesn't call her by Lacey. He calls her by Mary, which is his wife's name. So it makes me wonder if Lacey was created in the likeness of his wife uh, and it's possible that that is the case now again natalie may not know what her mom looks like because again her mom died in an accident she might have been a baby when it all happens when, it, when all this happened and she may have never known what her mom looked like but if you look at those two you see a lot of similarities so I kind of got an idea of where the story's going to go, uh, but I'm here for it again. Totally unexpected with 
uh, how this story ended, which is why I wanted to include it in this episode to talk about. Uh, so if you haven't read it yet, I, I strongly recommend that you do. It's a very interesting story from Sarah Cho. Again, Red Light number one, on sale now from AWA. Pick that up. All right, let's talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, The Scorpius Run, uh, written by Mike Johnson and Ryan Parrott, with art by Angel Hernandez. Now, while this isn't the last book I'm covering this episode, this is actually my book of the episode, uh, because it, it actually came out this past week. And just like the TV show, Strange New Worlds, in comic book form has been the best Star Trek out there. And and that goes with Discovery and Picard and Picard Academy, everything that's going on right now over at IDW. The the Strange New World series has have been just awesome. And that includes the Illyrian, the Illyrian Enigma, which was the first series that came out a while back, uh, which was also co-written by Mike Johnson. Maybe that's the common denominator of it all. Uh, but this has just been a great story uh, looking at the crew of the Enterprise as they have been trapped and forced into this race of starships from different galaxies and different worlds uh, with the winner being able to survive and the loser of this race losing their life to this uh, wannabe god, I will say, as the story goes on. Uh, in this issue, there's many who claim that the God actually isn't one uh, and can somehow have a weak point. But one of the things that I have appreciated with the Strange New World series and to an extent uh, the other Star Trek series as well, especially uh, the main book and Defiant, has been just how close in in realization and similarity the characters are to their TV characters. Uh, it's, it's great that they give that homage to allow the stories to take place so that you know where you are in the Star Trek universe. Now, from what I have read with, with not just the Scorpius run, but also in the first series, which was the Illyrian uh, Enigma. These are stories that actually could take place within the TV series. And in fact, uh, the Illyrian Enigma, the Illyrian Enigma uh, was solicited as taking place in between seasons one and two of the, of the TV series where Una number one uh, was arrested, and so the story goes out about how Pike and the crew go to search for ways by which they could help their colleague. And it was really good by the end. And I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. The story's out there. Go look it up as far as how it ended. But as the story does end, you could really see it as something that could have happened in 
the beginning of season two. You know, this is a story that really could have taken place. Uh, and the same seems to be the case here with regards to the Scorpius run. These stories really seem like they are being written to where you could really fit it in at some point within the TV series. Uh, but I have been enjoying it. Uh, the crew is kind of separated right now uh, with members being placed on these other starships uh, as a means by which cheating can't occur. But it's great. I love it. If you haven't been picking it, if you haven't been reading uh, any of the Star Trek books, uh, I truly implore you to do so. Uh, IDW has been doing a great job with all of their Star Trek series. Uh, I've read the issue one of Picard Academy as well. It was pretty good. Uh, probably the weakest of the bunch, yet still pretty good. Uh, but right now, Stranger Worlds, right now it's just top notch. And uh, Mike Johnson and Ryan Parrott are just doing a wonderful job in telling this story of the, the crew as they go through these different legs of the Scorpius run. Uh, right now with issue number three, they're basically going through this leg where it's just living lightning that's going all around them. And uh, they actually look to use it to help them win the leg of the race. But Stranger Worlds, the Scorpius run from IDW, it's my book of the episode. Pick it up and read it. You'll enjoy it. Okay, so now I want to discuss Void Rivals. Uh, issue number five just recently came out a few weeks ago from Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo De Felici. Easily for me, this is my favorite book on shelves today. Uh, the, the story that is spearheading the advent of the Inagon universe has just been wonderful from the start. And there has not been an issue that has not ended in a, oh my God, no, not don't end now, or a what type of moment. And it continues into issue five. So we've seen now as this story has progressed that the Zertonians and the Agorians are really similar uh, in their face, facial features. So it's in all likelihood that they may be related uh, when all is said and done. Uh, we've seen where the Zertonian leader and the Agorian leader, who is actually the father of Derek, the Agorian pilot, uh, communicate with one another. They have a ch back channel into where they can speak with one another. Uh, we've now seen where Celia, who at the end of one issue, uh, turns on Derek has now been thrown into jail with him. So there's just been a lot going on uh, in these first four issues leading up to what we get now in 
issue number five. And in issue number five, we see where Derek is tortured, you know, with with the Zetonians trying to get more information out of him. And this is actually at the behest of his own dad, who basically tells the Zetonian leader, the Zetonian minister, do with him as you will. My son's been lost to me for a long time. Uh, so it's interesting that he would just turn his back on him. Uh, but after all of this torture has been completed, someone comes and helps Derek escape. And he finds himself amongst these Agorian, Zertonians are amongst these Zertonian freedom fighters, if you want to call them that. Uh, but While he wants, while Derek wants to go back and save Celia, who's still caged up, per se, um, they tell him, hey, you don't, you really don't know who she is, do you? And this goes to the point of the story where uh, Celia is... Celia, I think that's how Kirkman pronounced it at New York Comic Con. Uh, She's approached by these cult of, now use the term witches, because that's what was used a few times. But she was approached by these women who basically want her back and have said she actually never left, that everything that has happened was all foretold and was done, uh, you know, basically, basically with their knowledge. So it's going to be interesting to see who they reveal Salila to really be, uh, other than this Zertonian warrior that she claims to be uh, and how that plays with what's going on because Derek want, doesn't want to leave without her. You know, he, he's committed to going back and, and saving her from whatever he feels is about to happen, uh, which really is nothing considering that uh, the ministers have basically allowed this, I'll use the word cult, uh, this coven of uh, witches to retrieve Celia and to bring her back to their little coven. But again, Boy Rivals is my favorite book on shelves today. Uh, it, there has not been an issue that I have not been excited to read nor upset to see end. Uh, but number six will be coming out in a couple of weeks. I'll definitely be looking out for that. Uh, as you know, I've been reviewing it on the website. Uh, it has always been top notch for me uh, with all of my ratings and I expect for it to continue to be so. Uh, but the reason why, even though Star Trek was my book of the episode, the reason why I wanted uh, to discuss Void Rivals last is because uh, at the end of issue number five, they gave a preview of the upcoming uh, series from Joshua Williamson looking at Duke from G.I. Joe. And so it's with that I wanted to announce 
our first contest here at the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. Two winners uh, will be selected to receive a special Ashcan edition of Duke Number One uh, that I received while attending New York Comic Con. Now, this special edition uh, has a special cover, but it's also without any dialogue. It is strictly in black and white with a hint of red here and there. Uh, but if you want a copy, it can be yours. Uh, if you're one of the two people that will be selected to receive a copy, and here's how you can win. First off, follow the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast on any of the social relevant social media networks, whether it's Blue Sky, Dreads, Instagram, or X, aka Twitter. It'll always be Twitter to me. So follow us on either or all of those channels. Leave us a five-star review on either Google Podcasts or on Apple Podcasts or wherever platform you get your podcasts from. And then email us at podcast at thecomicbookspot.com and let us know you've done all of these things. Once we verified it, if you are one of the two winners, you will receive a copy of Duke Number 1, the uh, Ashcan edition with artwork, with the inked artwork from Tom Raleigh. So again, it could be yours. So can go out there, follow us, leave us a review, and it could be yours. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. Uh, coming up, uh, this Friday, there'll be another episode of the Batman Universe Comic Podcast with Ian, Steph, and I. So be on the look for that come this Friday. And then we'll be back with the Comic Ben uh, the following week uh, as we look to just continue filling your ears with uh, all of the comic book goodness that you can get from us here at the comic book source uh so again thank you all for joining me this episode i truly appreciate it uh, you can follow the comic ben comic book podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast form we are all over social media we are on threads we're on twitter we're on instagram and we're on blue sky so find us Follow us for all of your comic book goodness. But as always, thank you for your support. And until next time, keep reading those comics.